take a look at our service if you can start recording us, Barry. Thank you. We are looking at Acts 6, 8 through 15, which can be found in the bulletin right here. You recall we've been going through the book of Acts, and Stephen uh, has been appointed as one of these seven men to help out uh, with the church. And we learn that Stephen is sharing the gospel and encounters some conflict. So I'm going to go ahead and read this to you, and then we'll launch into our sermon. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or by the spirit whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The word of the Lord. I want to talk to us today about relationships. This is going to be a sermon about relationships. You know, relationships are the most important thing out there, aren't they? And if we want to learn to navigate through life, we need to learn about relationships. And in my opinion, the best place to learn about relationships is country music. (laughs) Country music is where you can... I got amens from the crowd with that. I like that. Country music is the best place where you can learn about relationships. Let's be honest. And so in my extensive analysis, I have gone into my Rolodex and picked out what I feel like are the top eight songs on relationships in country music. Are we ready? Okay, here's number eight. I'm so miserable without you, it's like having you here. (laughs) Number two, if the phone don't ring, it's me. (laughs) Number three, she got the gold mine, I got the shaft. I like that one. Number four, you're the reason our kids are so ugly. (laughs) Number five, I got a Rolex on each wrist, but I ain't got time for you. Number six, my best friend ran off with my wife, and I sure do miss him. (laughs) And of course, the last one, number one, whatever, here's a quarter, call someone who cares. You know, the thing about all these songs is they're about broken relationships. Country music's the best at talking about broken relationships, best at explaining it, but they really don't explain how to fix it, aside from heading on down to the bar and having a shot of whiskey and trying to forget it about it or whatever. You know, the thing about relationships, no one goes into a relationship wondering, how can I screw this up? I'm going to do my best to ruin this particular friendship or ruin my relationship with this person We don't go into relationships with that, but invariably, sometimes, that occurs. And so, we have this problem of broken relationships. And all joking aside, the woes of the world can be found in the issue that we just can't get along with one another. How do we fix broken relationships? Well, I want to suggest to you that 
Broken relationships between people are really only symptoms of a deeper problem, of a deeper relationship that is broken that affects all the relationships that we have, and they are symptomatic of a broken relationship with God. See, the question before us today that we need to examine is, how do we fix our relationship with God? This estrangement, this tension, this space between us and God, because until we do so, we'll never ever really be able to figure out how to fix our relationships with one another. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And the question before us in this passage is how to do that. You see, there are two different parties in this passage that have radically different conceptions about what needs to happen to fix our relationship with God. The first is this group called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. And the other is this person, Stephen. See, the freedmen believe that the way to fix our relationship with God is through religion. It's through the law, the Ten Commandments, the temple sacrifices. It's through getting your act together and becoming morally the person you were meant to be. That's the only way to fix this rift between us and God. But Stephen is a total different perspective because Stephen is saying the way to fix our relationship with God is not through what we do, but rather through what Christ did. And it's through our faith in Jesus Christ and his moral purity that is the only way that we can become connected with God and heal that relationship. Well, who's right? That's the answer we're going to look at today. And I believe the answer is that only in Jesus Christ can reconciliation and restoration with God occur. The way to a right relationship with God is not to do the right things, but rather to trust in the right person who already has done the right things. Well, the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? Let's take a look at this passage, and let's take a look really to see who has that reconciled relationship with God. Is it the freedman, or is it Stephen? That'll tell us the truth. We're going to first take a look at the life of Stephen and his relationship with God, and then we're going to take a look at the freedman and their relationship with God, and then finally we're going to bring these two folks head to head and conclude. Well, let's look at Stephen. You know, if you want to look at any relationship the way to figure out what's going on with that relationship is the tension that we see between those two parties. You want to know if a relationship's doing good or bad, just watch for a while. Is there tension and is there strain? Or is it a relationship that's characterized by peace and harmony? And as I look at the life of Stephen, what I see is not tension and, and uh, strife and discord, but rather I see peace. Look at verse 8. We see that now Stephen was a man full of God's power and God's grace. He was full of God's grace. Well, what does that mean to be full of God's grace? The first time we've ever heard that phrase, full of God's grace, actually is in John 1.14 with the coming of Jesus Christ, which says that the word became fleshed and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in fact, just two passages later in 117, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so we're seeing a correlation between this grace that Jesus Christ has brought and this grace that indwells the person of Stephen. Well, what actually does the word grace mean? If you follow the word grace, it flows all the way through the New Testament into the Old Testament. And the word grace in Hebrew is actually pronounced chanan, and what kanan means physically is to stoop or incline oneself. 
It, like in the parable of the great uh, of the Good Samaritan, he Hanan, he stooped and inclined himself to help this person who could not help himself. But it's not just physically speaking. It, in the Old Testament, it means more than that. It's a gracious disposition of the heart. It's a desire and a kindness to stoop and incline oneself from one to the other. And this word Kanan is seen again and again being attributed to God. We see that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Again and again, uh, Psalm 103, it says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. So we understand why there's a stooping down or an inclining because these two parties aren't equal. It's one and the other, yet one being gracious to the one that cannot help themselves. That's what grace actually means. So to have the graciousness of God is to have the love of God. It's to have the blessing of God. It's to have the approval of God. And we see that Stephen was full of grace. So how did he receive this grace? Where did it come from? What was Stephen's secret? In Acts 6-5, which is just a couple of verses earlier, we see that the scriptures say that the apostles chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. You see, when Philip decided to follow Jesus Christ, he received the grace of God in a human form. See, God doesn't give us grace. God gives us a person. He was full of grace because he was full of Jesus Christ. You cannot separate Christ from grace because Christ is the one who came full of God's grace. And so we understand that Stephen was full of God's grace because when he accepted Christ, Christ came into his heart in the person of the Holy Spirit and he received the graciousness of God. So Stephen had the love of God, the favor of God, and the peace of God. What was the result in Stephen's life? Peace. Look at verse 15. He's standing here in front of the Sanhedrin. All these charges have been put up in front of him. And the Sanhedrin are looking at Stephen to, to see if there's some sort of shame, some sort of betrayal. And we see that all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I don't know about you, but one of my most favorite things to do is when it's late at night to go in the room of my children. It's really neat to see a child sleeping, isn't it? For some who are parents, you can remember what I'm talking about. You go in, and particularly the younger that you are, you go and you look at their face, and they are sleeping, and there's an absolute absence of worry or anxiety on their face. Peace, no worry lines, no wrinkles, no anything, just so sleeping so deeply. Well, what, what does that mean? Is it because they're free of sin? Is it because they've done no wrong that they have this peace? No, I can assure you that children are capable of sin just as much as adults are. That's not it. It's rather that they are totally secure and confident in their position of the world because they know they are approved and loved by their parents. See, if there's a problem, mom and dad are going to take care of it. Is there a mortgage payment to be made? Mom and dad, they're going to take care of it. Was I bad today? It's okay, because mom and dad forgive me. See, it's not that they're without sin. It's that they're without fear. But you know, something happens, and I'm seeing it, and I hate it. As kids grow older, there's a little more worry that starts to occur. 
as they start to realize that mom and dad can't control everything, as they start to feel the weight more of their sin and the anxieties of the world and the regrets that they have in life. And somehow, ultimately, they end up with these lines on their head and we deal with these problems about sin. But we're seeing that when one has the graciousness of God, the Holy Spirit, that we are enabled to live this life free of anxiety and fear because we have the approval of God. Let me ask you, friends, do you have God's peace in your life? Maybe you have regrets in your life. We all do. Broken relationships, things that we wish if we could turn back the clock of time, we could fix things that we said or things that we've done. We know that we're just as guilty, but we can't change those things, can we? We can't fix them. So we're either stuck with them for the rest of our life or we need to embrace the grace of God. The way to a right relationship with God is not doing the right things, but to trust in the right person who has already done the right things. So let us stop fixing our eyes on our failures and our efforts, but rather to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. So thankful of the verse that Ken shared because I wanted to share it as well. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, if you follow Christ, a way of peace is what God has asked and brought about that you could experience. If you're not a believer, if you're a, a seeker, you're just trying to figure this thing out for your own, I want to let you know that peace can be found in trusting in the person of Jesus Christ because he is the one who has come from the Father full of grace and truth. So that's a picture of Stephen. Well, what about these guys, the freedmen? I mean, these guys were religious. They were strict observers of the law. How can you say to me, Carlos, that these guys are not in a good place with God? Because they surely are putting a lot of effort into how they live, more so than maybe we do. Well, let's talk about the freedmen. Who were they? The freedmen are exactly what their name sounds like. They were freed slaves, or the descendants of freed slaves. In the year 63 B.C., General Pompey of the Roman army came in and basically seized Jerusalem and brought it to its knees. And he took large quantities of, uh, of Israelites as slaves, and he took them back to Rome, and he took them to other places around the Roman Empire. And so they were slaves. But the problem was these guys were such bad slaves because of their religious observance and their strict observance to the law, the Romans just got frustrated with them. And so they kicked them out of their house and they said, you're free, go away. And so many of those uh, freedmen came back to Jerusalem and established the synagogue of the freedmen. So one of the things we understand about these guys is they understood what it knew to be enslaved and they knew what it meant to be free. But where did they go when they were looking for that right relationship, that restoration of their relationship with God, they were looking to the law of Moses and the temple worship. They were strict observers of the law, counting on the law to provide them with the freedom that they so wanted. This is why they were so mad with Stephen when he was advocating faith in Jesus Christ instead of the law. They were furious with him. And so we see in this passage that they came up against him. They opposed Stephen. This group of the freedmen came out. And yet, they could not stand up against Stephen. So what did they do? Look at verse 11. They secretly persuaded some men, most likely by bribery, to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. Verse 13. 
They produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. See, they understood something. When the Romans took over, they also took the, uh, the right of capital punishment away from the Jews, except for one thing, speaking against the temple of God. If you spoke against the temple of God, the Jews had the right to put you to death rather than sending you to the Romans. If you remember in the trial of Jesus, they were constantly trying to pin that charge on Jesus, but they couldn't, and so that's why they sent him to the Romans. You see, these freedmen are basically setting up this guy Stephen to be killed, to be martyred by producing false witnesses. They're resorting to underhanded tactics. Well, what's the problem with that? Here's the problem. These people who are zealous for the law, who are trying to protect it from Stephen, who are trying to condemn Stephen, are ultimately condemning themselves. See, the Old Testament is very specific about things that bring the blessing of God and things that bring the cursing of God. And one of the things that bring the cursing of God is lying. Proverbs 6.17, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, etc., etc. And what about in the Ten Commandments themselves? The revered Ten Commandments which they followed. Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Yet this is the very thing they're doing in condemning an innocent man to death. What does the law say about lawbreakers? Deuteronomy 27, 26, cursed is everyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. You see, by violating the law, the very thing which they claim to bring righteousness and restoration with God, they're calling condemnation on themselves. Try as they might, they cannot keep the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> now, some of you may be saying to myself, that's, that's a little bit harsh. I mean, it's just one mistake. Come on, give them a break. They're trying to be righteous. They're trying to do the right thing. They're just a little misguided. One can find a, a holy restoration to God based on their efforts. Well, I thought to myself, you know what? We need to be fair and we need to give everybody a chance with this thing. So, here's what we're going to do. I have devised a very clever and original 10-question quiz. And if you can cover this 10-question quiz, none of what I'm saying applies to you. You can sort of write this one off. I give you full permission to lie down in your chairs and sleep. If you can pass this 10 uh, this 10-question quiz, okay? Here's the way it works. All of us are going to raise our hands. Go ahead and raise your hand. And I'm going to give a question. And if it doesn't apply to you, you can go ahead and sort of keep your hand standing. Okay, are we ready? Are you ready? All right, here we go. Number one, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Doesn't apply to you? Keep your hands up. People are like, I don't, I don't remember. No, no. If you have obeyed that command, keep your hand up. <laughs> Nobody's obeyed the command. Nobody has made God. God, always. That was just the first command. What about the second? You shall have no other idols before you. You shall not bow down and worship them. Anybody want to raise their hand on that one? I can't. I'm the pastor of the church, and I certainly can't raise that one. What about number three? You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Number four, honor the Sabbath by keeping it holy again and again and again. You see, nobody can pass the test, all of us included. The way 
To a right relationship with God is not doing the right things, but rather to trust in the right person who has already done the right things. And so what does this mean for us today? It means that we must not fall into the trap of the freedman. The way to a relationship is that. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you've trusted in Christ, and yet you find yourself continuously going back into that synagogue, trying to measure up to your relationship with God based on your moral and spiritual muscle. Is it possible that you have lost sight of the graciousness of God? Here's a way to know if you've lost sight of the gra- uh, relationship, uh, graciousness of God. Is your relationship with God more characterized by joy and peace, or does it feel more like slavery? That you're constantly on this treadmill that you never can quite catch up, a life characterized by regret. That's not the graciousness of Christ. That's not the peace of God that he's called us to. Rather, we must leave the synagogue of freedom, uh, the freedmen, and we must embrace Christ. We must look to the cross which is the symbol of what God has done for us. We must celebrate daily what He has done rather than what we have not. If you're not a believer, you may be saying right now, I didn't know there was another way. I always always thought growing up, it was do this, do this, do this. Don't don't drink, don't smoke, don't don't go with girls who do. You know, (laughs) whatever that saying is. I've got to obey these commands or I'm, I'm not gonna make it. It's important to understand that the commands are right. The only problem is we can't obey them, but there is one who has. Jesus Christ is the only one who has perfectly obeyed the Ten Commandments of God. And when we have faith and trust in Him, it's like what He has done is brought to us. Praise God for that. Well, let's bring these two folks together and let's finish out with these thoughts. We've talked about Stephen. We've talked about the freedmen. Let's talk about them both together. And as we do a little tale of the tape in this spiritual boxing match, who is God supporting? The answer is clearly Stephen. Stephen was the one who was full of grace and power. He was the one who was performing signs and wonders and miracles. In verse 9 and 10, the whole group of the freedmen come out to do battle against Stephen. A whole group against one. Now that's not fair, is it? And yet we see that they cannot stand up against Stephen as he argues with them. And why is that? Because in verse 10 we see that Stephen is not alone. They could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom whom he spoke. You see, Stephen is the one that has God's power because he is a part of God's plan. And when you are in a right relationship with God, restored with him, guess what? You get to be a part of of what God is doing. Your life begins to align with the purposes of God. If you want to know fulfillment in your life, align your life with Jesus Christ and you will discover the purposes of God. See, Stephen had God's power because he was part of God's plan. If you'll remember in Acts, the book of Acts is the whole story of God saying that he will spread his gospel through the, uh, through the disciples first in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And so far, all that's been happening has been happening in Jerusalem. But something is going to happen right now. Everyone who's been being saved is just Jews in Jerusalem. But we see that Stephen and Philip are Hellenistic Jews, meaning they're people who aren't from Jerusalem. They're from somewhere else that have brought in and they've heard the gospel and they have believed. And so God is uh, using Stephen that he's part of God's plan. 
And he's going to go ahead and be used to take the gospel to Judea and to Samaria. See, we, when we are in a relationship with God, we can be used by God. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Stephen really realize what was going on in the big picture of things? He didn't see it. He didn't know. He just knew what he needed to do at that time in that place. And God used him because Stephen was aligned with God because he was in a right relationship with God. And when we are in a right relationship with God, we can take confidence, even when we don't fully understand what's going on, that we are a part of God's plan. Let me ask you, what would your life look like if you knew and believed that you had God's power in your life? How would you live differently? With more trepidation or fear or more confidence, even if you didn't realize what was God doing? That's one of the benefits that we get to take part. We get to live out this relationship with Christ. Do you feel strengthened in your life with Christ? Or do you feel weakness and anxiety? It's not always victory. You know, by the way, if you play the tape forward with Stephen, Stephen ended up being martyred for his faith. That's not a traditional understanding of what God's power would be, isn't it? God's power is for the guys that get the house. Drive off into the sunset. Live happily ever after. No, that's not true. That's a myopic understanding of what things are all about. It was Stephen that had the peace of God, not the freeman. The peace of God, even as he went to his death. You see at the end of the passage where Stephen is dying, he dies in the exact same way that Christ does. As he is being stoned, what does he say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. The freedom to have the power that overcomes the world can only be seen when we have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so I challenge you, the way to have our life aligned with Jesus Christ is to simply say one phrase, thy will be done. Thy will be done. In faith that my relationship is right with you, God, I'm putting all of my eggs in your basket, thy will be done. Thy will be done in my finances. Thy will be done in my relationships. Thy will be done with my calendar. Thy will be done with my personal habits. And Christ who lives in us will give us the strength to be a part of God's purpose. The way to a right relationship with God is not to do the right things, but to trust in the right person who has already done the right things. I want to conclude with this thought. The chance for peace with God is for you. Jesus Christ said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. But the way to a restored, right relationship with God is not through our efforts. It's not through more religious activity. It's through trusting Christ who has already offered all that we need to be right with God. Have you done that? Is Christ the answer to your life? Jesus said in John 1:12, yet to all who received him, who those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. My hope today, Church of the Redeemer, is that you will know the peace of God which passes all understanding. And you will leave here equipped, ready, and receptive to the plan of God, even when we don't understand exactly what's going on. And that you will experience the power of God and the kingdom of God will advance in your life and in the world around you. One more time, the way to a right relationship with God is not to do the right things, but to trust in the right person who has already done the right things. Let us pray.
Lord, we thank you for this wonderful message that the time of striving is over to become restored to you. That in the person of Jesus Christ, your son who you sent, who died a gruesome death on the cross, but who was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we too can be raised to a right and restored relationship with you. Lord, I know that there are people in the chairs today who struggle with feeling that they're known and loved and accepted and blessed by you. Lord, I pray that this message would strengthen their hearts, that they too could know the peace of God like a little child, like Stephen, and that we could live out of the joyous celebration that we too, indeed, are children of God. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.